It's the most wonderful time of the year. And with help from Albertsons, it doesn't have to be the most stressful. Stop in for great deals on holiday favorites so you can stretch your budget and celebrate more. Pick up fresh, boneless, skinless chicken breasts or thighs, just $1.59 a pound when you buy a value pack of three pounds or more. And get General Mills cereal 10.7 to 13 ounces, selected varieties, $1.57 when you buy two. Tastier meals, sweeter deals, happier holidays. Albertsons, it's just better. How troubling are the referees in the NCAA tournament? Will Buddy Heald's game translate to the NBA? What will Bill Simmons' new venture, The Ringer, look like? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. I sincerely hope that you're listening to this on our brand new mobile app because it always sounds better that way. Uh, I'm pleased to bring on the show today Jonathan Charks, who is the writer of basketball things at TheRinger.com. And uh, Jonathan, I thank you for, uh, for joining us as you're lounging outside your apartment. I'm good, man. How you doing? Good, good, good. Um, I, I, I'm kind of curious. I, on Thursday, I watched about 10 hours straight of NCAA basketball. And I, I think my mind um, fell out. Part of it fell out of my ear in an oozy glob. Did, have you been watching all of it? And have you been able to keep up with everything all four days? Pretty much, yeah. My mind's pretty fried after like 40 hours of college basketball, for sure. You know, the one thing that I, that I take away from watching these games generally, and that's for the last several years, is how poor the officiating is. Do you feel that way? Yeah, but I never really watch officiating because I just assume it's a given. It's going to be bad. But the block charge thing, oh, my God. It's out of control. <laughs> out of control. You know, it's funny because it, it just seems like they're repping a different game. Like they don't they, – they're clinging to this – the way we used to play the game a long time ago – um, and certain things that drive me nuts are like contact that maybe isn't an advent, advantage for anybody, and they come flying in there and call this nothing little foul, and then they get involved and call fouls, you know, later that are or, or don't call fouls later. It's it just seems so over the all over the place, and perhaps because there's so many teams and so many games, that's just the nature of the beast. You're just going to have a crazy, you know, uh, difference in, in in officiating levels. Here's what I think. I think the refs consistently reward the less talented players, the guys oh. who try harder versus the more talented guys. They go out of their way to call offensive fouls. They go out of their way to reward like the hustle players. I forget whether it was Jalen Brown or Brandon Ingram, but they picked up their fourth foul on an offensive charge. It was just awful. Like the guy did it the whole time he was going to flop the whole way, and he makes the drive. He barely moves his shoulder a little bit, and they call the offensive foul. It was just, come on. Let the best players win the game. Don't. It's really irritating. Yeah, I mean, and there are a couple I think out there that are good that understand that. But it's you're right. It just seems strange where you, out of nowhere. And the thing I hate about the charge because I like the charge as a, as a coach, you need to have as many tools as you can to stop that damn offense. But what I see so much of at the college level are the guys who are sliding in, taking charges after the guys have already like gotten in the air or they're already you know, just about jumping on that thing. And it's just like clearly not, they're not in position when the, the play begins, and yet the referees call it. It's, it drives me crazy. Yeah, I mean, the worst is the jump pass charge where the guy's passing the ball, not oh. even trying to drive the ball, and the guy jumps in front of him and charges. Like, come on, dude. That is the worst, and I feel like that is cheap. And I don't like when players do that, you know, knowing that they're going to get that call. I hate it. 
you, yeah, do you, that's yeah. yeah, I mean, I know like when I played, that would happen too. And even when you come down with a jump stop sometimes and you still move, you can knock the guy over. Uh, it's, it's, it's horrible. I mean, it kind of reminds me of those guys who will try and step in on the big guys when they're just kind of running down the court. Oh, oh yeah. That's, that's absurd. That's <laughs> absolutely absurd. What should we do with that instead? What, what, what kind of call should that be? To me, like, I'm a purist in the sense that I'm pretty much never calling a charge. Unless it's a one-on-one play and, you, and you're right in front of him and he lowers his shoulder, I'm calling the block every time. I don't care. Let the better player win in my book. You know, I've seen um, suggestions that, um, like, if you are not the primary defender on the ball and you cannot take a charge. Yeah, for one thing, it's very dangerous doing that. It's very, very dangerous to run across the court and undercut somebody. It's mm-hmm. super unnecessary. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that there's something there. I mean, I watch the FIBA refs, and I'm always impressed because they're allowed to call technical fouls on guys that they think that flop, for instance. And um, I don't see why we can't have that in America. Well, I mean, I don't know if we need to give college refs any more discretionary power already. Like, that's already kind of a thin line for those guys. <laughs> but I take the decision-making out of their hands as much as possible. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, you know what? Well, maybe up with the NBA. The NBA, I think, would be yeah. would be better if they if you could train the referees to see that, like they do with FIBA, and they would be able to tee up the guys who are clearly just flopping out there. I mean, also keep in mind, like, there's way more college refs than NBA refs. It's a much bigger talent pool. And refing is really, really hard. It's like with players. The best players in the NBA, the best refs are in the NBA. And the level of difference between a great ref and an average ref is pretty large. For sure. Well, let's talk about, you know, just jumping in my mind right now was the, uh, the, the, um, the Northern Iowa-Texas uh, A&M game, which, uh, you know, I don't, did you see that? I'm assuming you did see that game and the yeah. ending of it. Yeah, um, What What are your thoughts on that while that was happening? Well, my first thought was, like, the whole game, A&M was playing very stupidly. They had much better players, and they kept turning it over and not running good offense. It was very hard to watch. Their best scorer, Daniel House, he didn't score till like, mm-hmm. one minute left in the game. But they were, like, half asleep, I guess, or something. And my second thought was, college kids cannot handle the press. They just freak out. It's really bizarre. They just, I don't know, their minds just go blank, and they just, they can't handle it. You know, what I meant to do is go through all the timeouts that Iowa called to see where they wasted a couple that they could have used at the end. And uh, I haven't done that yet because I've been a little bit busy. But um, that was also what struck me. But, you know, the funniest thing was, and maybe it's because they're too young. You know, when I was growing up in like maybe 1988, 89 or maybe a little earlier, Magic Johnson was in a similar situation where they had the ball in the backcourt up by one with eight seconds to go. And he just... Throw, threw the ball up and it let it roll down the other end of the court. The other team couldn't get it. The clock runs out and they win. And I almost feel like they would have benefited from having known that that was what, we, what you could have done. That, that one last turnover, he could have just thrown it anywhere yeah, <laughs> but sure. toward his basket. Um, is that just like, is that March Madness? Is that just sort of like, you know, another one of those one shining moments that, were, that happen all the time? I mean, it feels like it because you're right. Literally anything would have been better than what they did. Like, literally anything. If they had just not literally thrown the ball directly to A&M's players like three straight times, they would have won the game easily. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah, I mean, I, I joked about it last yesterday in my podcast. He could have pulled his pants down and ran up in the stands with the ball, <laughs> and they win. <laughs> or just hold the ball and get a five-second charge call. Like, that's how much they could have done that. Just hold the ball for five seconds, run the clock out, and turn it over. Yeah, absolutely. Get a set defense. Because what they kept doing was throwing the ball off the A&M guy. The A&M guy grabs the ball and there's a feeling right to the rim. So, like, it was just the absolute, absolute worst-case scenario. Well, let's talk a little bit about the matchups that are coming up because, you know, I'm a big uh, Syracuse hater. 
Um, they play 2-3 zone the entire time, and I feel like no team should be allowed to do that. Yet, you know, they're successful enough. Um, but here we have a team, Gonzaga, that's, that, you know, has a, a terrific coach. They, these guys can shoot, and they're well-drilled. So, you know, how do you see that playing out when they play tomorrow? Well, I think Gonzaga's personnel is pretty much perfectly set up to attack a 2-3 zone because you've got Sabonis, a 6'10 passing big man. You've got Wilcher, a 6'11 shooting big man. They can both play high-low. They can both go inside and out. And then you've got three more guys who can shoot threes around them. So they'll be able to score on Syracuse. It's going to be where they can stop Syracuse on defense. Okay. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I'm confident they're going to get great shots. I just don't know if they're going to make them. Uh, I, was, I went through some of the game in the last round with Middle, Middle Tennessee, and even they were getting good shots, but they just could not knock them down, and they were rushing a little bit. Uh, and I have to imagine that certainly Gonzaga is used to playing at that pressure at that level, so that shouldn't bother them, right? Yeah, I mean, that's where the 2-3 zone, like, it works. It's a very cynical defense that Bayheim employs, and it works well to exploit some of the holes in lesser players' games. But at some point, the tournament usually falls apart. That's why his teams underperform generally in March. Do you remember when they won the, the title with Melo? Yeah, yeah, 03. Because, uh, yeah, because I remember watching that game in Kansas. Was, it was a great example of they executed perfectly. They got so many wide-open, like, 15-foot shots, and Kirk Heinrich has kept bricking them, and it was driving me nuts as far as – that's my memory of it, at least, where they, they just – they ran it right, and they could not knock down the shot they needed – that they got. And that, I, I just – I worry when I start to see that going forward because that, that is what plays into the Syracuse hands. Perhaps it gets into their head, and now everyone starts pressing. Yeah, I mean, that's another thing, too, in a 40-minute game. Like, you, miss, you can miss shots sometimes. That definitely happens. Like, you can run the perfect offense and the perfect set. You get a wide-open shot, and you just miss the shot. Yeah. Well, hopefully, uh, you know, I'm biased here. Hopefully, they, they won't miss too many. Uh, you know, looking at the rest of the field of 16, um, is there anything else that jumps out at you that everyone else's take is wrong or that you feel like this is going to be um, some... I would say watch that OU A&M game pretty carefully. A&M, I think, has more talent across the board, especially up front. Okay. OU has got no one who can guard A&M's big man. So if A&M can run good offense, get the ball inside, play inside out, I think they will win that game. Okay. Do they, and who, do they have anybody who can guard Buddy? They've got two six seven wings, uh, Danielle House and Jalen Jones. Mm -hmm. They're both fifth-year seniors. They both have NBA ability, if not a guaranteed shot at the NBA. So they'll be up for that game. It's definitely like a lose-yourself game for those two guys. Like, let's make some money today. If we can lock up Buddy Heald, we can get paid big bucks. So let's go. <laughs> okay. Uh, you're, you're assuming they haven't been being, being paid big bucks the, the, all these years in college. Well, relatively. Relatively okay. speaking. All right. That's true. I mean, we know that they're – well, whatever we know they're getting paid, if they, if they are getting paid, it's not, it's not the big bucks yet. But there's probably something in there that convinced them to go to that well, school. I, I'm no snitch, man. I got nothing to say about anything with that. All right. Good. Good. I mean, I, you know what? I'm not going to – I don't I'm, – I'm, I'm blissfully ignorant because I know – I know generally, but like I don't. I, when I hear about it, I just walk away. I don't want to know the specifics, so I'd rather you know live yeah. in, in my in my my ignorance. Um, I what do you think about Buddy? I, we broke his game down, and I was really really impressed with him. And you know, it, there's something about what we're moving into in the as as basketball evolves, where we're seeing more and more teams with players that are playing unfettered mm -hmm. by any notion of shot selection. 
you yeah. know, like we're seeing Steph Curry kind of do that, and because he can. Buddy Heald reminded me a lot of that, where he sort of has the green light at any time from anywhere, and he's earned that right because he can make those shots. But um, what do you think about that? Do you think that that's going to translate at the NBA level? Well, I mean, a lot of it depends on his coach for sure, right? It depends on where he's drafted. I think he's in a pretty perfect spot now. What really helps him is he plays with two point guards and Woodard and Cousins. And they really take much the like kind of responsibility for like getting the offense running, you know, getting him open shots as he runs off screens, getting the ball in the right spots. Mm-hmm. And they really guard the best players too. So I'm really curious if Buddy really is his defense. I want to see him a lot this game against House and Jones because he's not to play defense and he doesn't all the time do that right now though. You, he just takes a lot of shots. So I'm really right. curious to see that. You know, because I was surprised to see a pick and roll from him. He actually was handling the ball as well and doing a little bit of combo guard stuff, which when I before I had seen him and only heard about him, I was assuming he was strictly, you know, coming off screens, catch and shoot. So I was surprised by that. And that, that seems to lead me to believe that he could actually, you know, be like a C.J. McCollum kind of guy. Oh, I mean, McCollum, like, I guess. McCollum, I think, is a different level ball handler, though. Like, McCollum was a full-time point guard, combo guard in college, ran the offense and everything. Yeah. Heel to me, heel to me has got that in his game, like the versatility, but he's primarily a shooter. You attack the clothes and he goes around it. But I don't see him as, like, a full-fledged, versatile combo guard. I think he's more of, like, a shooter who can't handle the ball. As opposed to, like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. A full-on guy who does both. Okay, yeah. Because well, CJ's role now, from what, you know, as I see it, is he's the off guard when, when they start. And then he'll get those four minutes a game when Dame is on the bench. That he's, you know, he brings the ball up, gets initiates the offense. And that, that's why I was thinking that he could probably do something in that range. Um, but, I, and I guess, you know, what, what, one thing that we are concerned with is his defense. Uh, he certainly seems to have the tools and the physical ability to move. Yeah. Right? He's not slow. I'd say Heald's more of like a Reddick type or a, I mean, even a Wes Matthews type. Not, not, not Wes. He's better dribbler than Wes, but that, more of that kind of player. Oh. I think a good, good comparison for him is watch Malcolm Brogdon at UVA. They're both senior shooting guards. Both have big numbers. And I would say Brogdon's a much better passer dribbler than Heald. A much more complete game if you look at that kind of player. You know, it's funny. It reminds me, you know, I was doing a, a preview with um, – Another guy who does all the numbers and, you know, uh, Hoops Nerd on, on Twitter, great guy. Yeah. And um, he was touting a guy before the tournament started from Stephen F. Austin named uh, Walkup. And I was yeah. like, and so I, I, so I dug in the footage and I watched and I was like, you know what, this is something here. And then, you know, he definitely showed us some stuff in those two games. So did you get a chance to watch him? What do you think about him? Uh, I haven't seen him a ton. It's just a guy like that got to shoot threes. Maybe if he could shoot. He doesn't have that system, so it's kind of hard to say. But with his size and skills, he's got to shoot threes to play in the NBA. So it's kind of tough to say right now. Fair enough. Yeah, and by the way, looking at his mechanics, to me, it indicated that he should have no problem getting to the three-point line and shooting it. And I think we saw him make some threes as well uh, in, in some of those highlights. I think he had like a crossover step back. And it was yeah, three. he did, over Devin Williams. Yeah, and so uh, that was I was like, whoa, you know. Uh, anybody that can do it at that level under that pressure to me would indicate that there's, there's ability there that he can re- replicate that. But yeah. I don't know. We'll find out. Um, so, all right, besides that, so we have Oklahoma, Texas A&M. Um, you know, Duke did not look good to me very at all in, in, in big stretches. So... Um, what do you think about them? Is that going to be a, a done deal when the game starts with Oregon? Well, I think Oregon's the better team. And Duke definitely got a very easy draw. Like, UNC, Wilmington, and Yale. I mean, are you kidding me? That's your <laughs> two teams. You got to play the Sweet 16. Like, which tough they had to play Vanderbilt. They had to play Arizona. They had to play Miami. And Duke gets to play freaking Wilmington and Yale. So in that sense, yeah, I'd be pretty worried about Duke against Oregon. 
I think Oregon should get that game, but obviously you never know. But I feel like with Duke's a very flawed team for sure. Fair enough, fair enough. Now, and then my, my alma mater, Wisconsin, is going up against another name, and that seems to be a really interesting matchup. Uh, you know, any feelings about that? I haven't seen those side of the bracket as much, but I do think in the end, Demetrius Jackson will be the difference because they let him play in space. They got a good role man in August. They got a lot of shooting around him. And you got an NBA guard in space. I think he should be able to beat a team like Wisconsin. It'll probably be a pretty close game. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Wisconsin's going to make it close no matter what. They're going to yeah. slow it down. I, I, I don't even like the way they run their offense. It's so deliberate. Uh, and there are times when they get uh, almost uh, timid in their attack, which you know is frustrating to watch. Well, they loosened it up last year when they had more talent. This year, obviously, not as much talent. They got even more deliberate. Yeah, I feel bad. I was reading something about Nigel Hayes, who was primed to be, you know, drafted well, and you know, he sort of struggled with all this stuff. It sounds like, and he might not. Uh, he might have lost a little money there. Well, I mean, playing next to Kaminsky and Decker, you look pretty good doing that versus being the man. It's a really big difference in his role for sure. Yeah. What do you think about him? Is he going to be a pro? Oh man, he's a tough one. I have to watch a lot more film. He go either way. I mean, there's lots to like about him. That's a really tough one. I can't right now. I'm not sure. It's, yeah, it's, that's tough. Yeah, me too. I, I feel like yeah, it's possible that um, he could be one of those guys that once he gets in the court with four other pros, then he'll he'll just be that much better yeah. than he is now. I mean, Michael Finley, when I was there, had a similar thing his senior year, where he had a really good junior year, was prime, uh, struggled mightily his senior year, and then fell to the end of the first round. But um, once you got him on the floor with four other pros, he was you know a, uh, a you know yeah. twenty four point a game scorer for eight, you know eight or nine years in a row. Yeah, I'll just say, like, Hayes is one of the big group of guys at late first round. Maybe could be a pro. I have my guys I really like, and he's not one of them. I'll put it that way. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, well, let's talk about the ringer for a minute, can we? I mean, like, what, that's, what, yeah. the, what the vision of that's going to be like and how you fit in there. Um, I think it's going to be a lot like Grantland. I mean, I'm just a very lowly peon this whole situation, so I don't know the vision, really. But I'll be, I'll be covering the NBA and stay in the draft. And right now, we're just doing a newsletter, I think Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And it'll probably be more of the NBA playoffs. You can just sign up for that at theringer.com and, you know, be from that kind of thing. You can check it out. So, the, so you're doing old-fashioned, you know, like what Bill Simmons used to do when he was a bartender, just sending out emails with his writing. Is that what that is? For now, I guess for these first few months, I suppose. That's still before my time, I think. <laughs> I remember someone starting ESPN. I don't remember being a bartender. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. He was the. Uh, that's what he was doing uh, before he got hired by AOL. You, you know what AOL is, right? Do we all still remember that? <laughs> yeah, very vaguely. Very, right. very vaguely. I, someone just gave me an email address at AOL, and I was like, I don't know. I, I, I didn't. I couldn't fathom that someone still uses. You know, you yeah. got mail. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Simmons does too. I was like, my goodness. Oh, oh is that right? So yeah. you, when you email Simmons, you email an AOL address. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is unbelievable. Wow. Okay. Um, uh, anyway, so, so you're going to write about uh, NBA, the sort of general NBA, whatever strikes your fancy that week, you're going to write something? It sounds like it, but I think, I mean, right now we're still figuring that out. But I think for sure, like a lot of NCAA, the draft, and like younger players in the NBA for sure, that kind of realm. How often are you going to be writing? TBD, to be determined. Okay, fair enough. Um, well, how did your, what is your process like? I mean, I know that you, you use, when you write uh, articles, you'll use video and you'll embed that kind of stuff. So walk us through that. I'm kind of curious because yeah. that's all I do all day in the, on the video side. So what's your process when you're trying to figure out how to break down stuff and write about it? 
I mean, I think for me, especially with the NBA, I like to watch guys live. I think there's something to be said oh. for that, seeing them in a, you know, in an NBA game, 94 feet, how they rock their teammates, that kind of thing. So I'll have NBA riding, it'll be like, so I'm based out of Dallas, so it'll be like the teams the Mavericks play, they'll come into town, I'll watch them, I'll watch some of their film. So I'm really up on like those two or three teams that week, and I'll focus on that. So for me, I try not to get too broad for like the playoffs. I like to be like very specific about individual players and teams. So like over the course of the season, like on a given like eight, on a given day in like February, I couldn't talk about all 30 teams. I'm talking about three or four teams. I'll focus on them very closely and then hit every other team, of course, this season. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, you know, it's funny because uh, all I do is watch film all day. I even have guys who help me get clips so they can I can speed the process up. And yet, like, I haven't watched the Suns play in months. You know what I mean? I, I, don't, yeah. I don't know. I haven't watched the Magic really play. Uh, and it's crazy because, you know, you'll turn on the TV and you'll see these guys who can go from NBA to college football, the college basketball, the hockey. And they're, they're talking like they've watched all this footage. And I know for a fact you couldn't possibly it's not possible. do that. Yeah, it's not possible. Yeah, it's crazy. And I feel bad. In fact, to the point where I'm like, yeah, maybe I should do it like you do it, where I literally just next season say, okay, we're just focusing on f- like four teams and that's all we're going to do. I wonder if that would even change anything. I mean, you know what? I, people would probably argue with me that's all I do now anyway. <laughs> you know? Well, I think for sure it's like, don't, I don't like to like overextend myself and talk. It's so easy to do that. Like, and to go off what you remember, like you half think and you're guessing. But that's what leads you into trouble a lot of times. Like, let me be based on what I've actually seen and not what I'm kind of like half intuiting other people. Right. Well, that's when Twitter becomes lethal. Uh, you know, when when I, w- I was watching Harrison Barnes, like, I don't know what happens to you, but for some reason in the last like month, and maybe I think someone told me that it's a lot easier now to search old tweets, like they changed something about it, because I'm getting destroyed on Twitter for like four-year-old tweets I wrote when Harrison Barnes was playing really well his rookie year against Denver in the playoffs. And I thought that he was going to be the best player in that team. And yeah. they keep re- – and I, like, I refuse to delete those tweets because they're the badge of honor. But, like, I'm getting destroyed now. Every, like, thir- every three days someone will requote it and it goes over and it destroys my timeline for a few hours. <laughs> Does that happen to you? I'm not quite that big time, I guess. I'm <laughs> sure I got some bad ones on my old Twitter. Because, yeah, with the advanced search now, it's very, very easy to find old tweets. But, is that yeah. what it is? If you go to advanced search on Twitter and you can just look up like a name and someone's like a handle and then everything they've ever tweeted by that name will come up in like two seconds. Okay. No, no wonder. Cause it, it's only like very, like I was at a party on a Saturday night having a great time. I'm like, ah, oh, what time is it? And then all of a sudden I noticed like I had, you know, on a Saturday night I had like 500 notifications and it was like all this Harrison Barnes That's stuff funny. and it was like, delete your account. You're horrible. You're the worst, whatever. And they don't even know that I do like video or anything. They just, just look at my Twitter and they, I don't know. Do you, are well, you, so, yeah. To me, that's why I have a flip phone, dude. When I go out of my apartment, I got to put the internet away. I got like notifications, all this stuff. I got to put it away for a while. It's too much otherwise. Yeah. I got to get better at that. Uh, you, you really, you don't really have a flip phone, do you? Flip phone, man. I'm off the grid. I leave my apartment. I'm off the grid. I don't know what's going on anymore. Uh, I, I think I'm, I might need a picture of that just to kind of confirm that you really, I mean, <laughs> you like who, who sells a flip phone these days? You got I mean, everyone still sells them. It's kind of like a CVS or, or even more of a ghetto store like that. They have plenty of flip phones out there. You know where to find them. Okay. I, you know what? I mean, I, my mom, I think, has a flip phone too. So I, I but she's had it <laughs> since yeah. they were, you know, but okay. Interesting to know. Um, so, all right, so you, before, um, before The Ringer, you were writing at Grantland, uh, and then, I, I mean, it's a host of other sites, right? 
Not at Grantland, but yeah, I was a freelancer of like 400 feather sides. Oh, wait. So you never had anything at Grantland when you were there? No. Oh, okay. Well, that's in my mind's eye for some reason. Like, I can picture that, but okay. Um, and so, are you also going to be writing for other places as well, or this is just the no, ringer? I, I'm, I'm full-time at the ringer now, so I'm exclusive over there. Okay, cool. Is that a, is that a, a, a welcome change? Yeah, I mean, it's nice to be full-time, for sure. You get weeks off, bed benefits. Being a freelancer, man, that's a real grind, for sure. It's a hustle. Uh, I hear you. I hear you. Um, well, let's talk about the NBA for a few minutes, shall we? Because, yeah, sure. you know, that's what we usually talk about. Um, you know, it, we're, we have about 12 games left, and it seems like everybody is dragging um, and, and just sort of like trying to get to the last week or whatever and then into the playoffs. Um, the Western Conference uh, race is a little bit interesting here, and I know that the Mavs are a focus uh, of you and your eye a lot. So, you know, do you think that that's – how is that going to shake out, do you think, in the last 12 games? Well, I mean, with the Mavs, it's tough because of the Parsons injury. Yeah. They'll have to change their entire team right now. So, like, they're going to have to get a brand-new identity in the next week and a half. So it's kind of hard, a little bit hard to say what's going to happen because it's a very different team now than what it was just last week. What was uh, – well, okay, so what does that mean as far as, like, who's going to take those minutes and uh, are they going to end up having to change – you know, I mean, Carlisle's a master at that kind of adjustment. So what do you think they're going to – who's going to get those shots? Well, who's going to, you know? here's what happened before. Like, the last two weeks, they've been going super small. and They've been playing Dirk at the five, Lee at the five, with CP at the four – and then three guards, a lot of times three point guards. So without CP, they've got no small ball four anymore. So it'll have to be more traditional lineups, Dirk at the four. I think you'll see more Zaza at the five. And watch out for this guy, Sala Mejri. He's, I don't know if you know much about him. He's a 29-year-old Tunisian rookie. Seven oh, yeah. two, block shots, rolls to the rim, very aggressive player. He's actually, he's a real character. He's a really interesting guy. And I think he'll be the main beneficiary of this. Sala Mejri and then Justin Anderson, the rookie from UVA. I think he'll get all the minutes on the wing with a little more size and athletic ability. So I guess those are two main guys in the rotation. I think with the more shots, we've got Darren Williams get more shots, and then Dirk. A lot of the old school Dirk Nowitzki, 25 shots a night, 35 minutes a game. Can he do it or not? That'll be fun to watch. It'll be like... Dirk in 2010 Mavs, Dirk 2009. Like, just screw it. Give him the ball every single time if he can handle it and let's just go. Well, it feels like, you know, and by the way, we saw evidence of that, right, with Dirk the other night where he went off. Yeah. And, and it, you know, it feels like they've been kind of, if they need, if, if this is the situation they have to be in, it sounds like they're, they're in, not in the bad space where they've kind of, you know, they've managed his minutes and he hasn't had to go crazy all year long. So it seems like, yeah, maybe this is okay. The last two weeks he can handle it and then into the playoffs. Maybe. I mean, the thing is he's just really, I mean, not breaking any news here, but he's really old. And even <laughs> two weeks of, like, that many minutes could be tough on him. But we'll see. I yeah. mean, like, it's really too bad he asked for that spot in his age. And he couldn't be in a more balanced team around him. But that's life, I guess, you know. Yet life in the fast lane in the NBA. Um, well, you know, it's, it's really fascinating the way that you're shaking out because – Memphis has maintained their stranglehold on the fifth spot, even though they've lost. Um, I, they have like what, like seven players left? Yeah, I heard somebody call them the Arkham Grizzlies. I like that one a lot. Like they're just playing <laughs> crazy basketball right now. Yeah, it's crazy. So now everyone keeps tweeting. I mean, I, I okay. Another example. I have to get more, more eyeballs. I watched like like thirty seconds of the game the other day, but 
Lance Stevenson supposedly is like playing well. I mean, the, the, the only thing in my mind right now is him falling all over the floor, flopping around, losing the ball. That was like, I think it was Shaq in the Fool recently. Yeah. But, um, but like supposedly he's playing well and like, you know, him and Matt Barnes and like, I, I don't know how, I guess, how are they doing this? I haven't seen them play much recently, but I love me some Lance Stevenson. I think he's one of the most entertaining players to watch in the league. So I'm all for that. All Lance right. Board against Stevenson, dude. I mean, entertaining is a word. Uh, like, I was never high on him, even when he had that good season before he left Indiana, just because it felt like, you know, everything about the fundamentals is off with him. And he's, not, he's never usually balanced. His footwork is crazy. He just sort of does random, inefficient motions. Um, but I guess, that, you know, there is room in the NBA for people to be themselves, right? And let them be themselves yeah. in the best version they can give you, I guess. Is that the idea? Yeah, I mean, he plays defense, he competes hard, he passes the ball sometimes. I don't know, I like him. Okay. But obviously, you're right, fundamentally, it's not his game, obviously. Right, you know, and, he, and it, it, you know, jump shooting and shot selection are a problem. I mean, he's not shooting well from three, and I think half of it is just because he, doesn't, he just decides to take these random, crazy random shots. Um, I'm looking at their schedule real quick just to kind of get a handle on what they have to face, just to, in case we were wondering, because they are firmly, I mean, they're in that fifth spot, uh, you know, 23 games behind, and then Portland's behind them. They're four and a half games. That's a pretty good big cushion for, you yeah. know, only 12 games left. But if you want to look at it here, here's their schedule. At Spurs, home against the Spurs, Nuggets, Raptors home, Magic on the road, Bulls at home, the Mavs, the Warriors, although this is the last three games of the year, Warriors, Clippers, Warriors, might not matter. What do you think about that? that those last three games? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. We'll see where, like, with this late in the season, every game is different in terms of motivation for their team. But I guess it seems like the way the Grizzlies play, it's like you can throw a match out the window. They're just going to play bully basketball, push you around, fight you for 40 minutes. And, like, that's a little different than a normal NBA game. Yeah. Like, you play, you play the Arkham Grizzlies, it's going to be a fight. Like, Mike Barnes almost fought that guy the other night, uh, Henson. Yeah, right. Oh, exactly. And, you know, I was watching the Lakers last night for a few minutes, and they, it was a bad loss for them, really bad um, you know, even though I know it was a back-to-back on the road, so that just sort of was the par for the course, but not against the Lakers. Um, but here's the interesting thing about the, the Spurs and the Warriors, because it doesn't feel like there's going to be a, okay, we're going to coast the last five games, rest guys. A, it sounds like the Warriors are hell-bent on getting 73 wins. But here's the weird thing. The Spurs are on their way to probably having, what, like the fifth or sixth best record of all time? And yeah. no one even knows that. And, like, it doesn't even matter. And, in fact, the Warriors could break the record for wins and then not win a title, and there would be no shame. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Definitely pretty crazy. No one's talking about the Spurs. And I, don't, I, don't, I mean, not in that context. It's weird. I, I don't know. I, maybe that's what, how they want it. I mean, just the Warriors. Like, what they're doing is so incredible. Like, it's just all the oxygen just sucks in the room. That's all it is. All the options of uh, well, all the oxygen, oh, all the, the, o- oxygen. All the oxygen, yeah. absolutely, yes, and and the options, <laughs> which yeah. uh, you know, although it's funny, I, I get it. Uh, you know, I, I love watching the Warriors play. It's it's really fun and it's entertaining, and they do so well on their offense. But I, do you feel the same way I do? Like when Steph goes to the bench, I kind of just start fidgeting and, and looking around and kind of checking my phone more. Well, I mean, for sure, he is definitely the engine. And also, it's always Steph and Draymond together. So when they're off the court together, it's a whole different team. But in the playoffs, it'll only be like probably four minutes a night against the Spurs, three or four minutes tops. 
They'll probably be at 44 minutes, 45 minutes, I would imagine, for a Spurs series. So it won't be a big deal, I don't think. Okay, interesting. That, that many, huh? I mean, that's a I mean, lot of minutes. Be, uh, Spurs Warriors, nothing holding back on that one. Put all, Leave it all on the table. Did you get a chance to watch that last game they played? I did not. That was right during March Madness. I didn't get to see that one. Oh, yeah. I had to put down March Madness to watch it. And it was, it was interesting because um, they didn't have Bogut or Iguodala. And uh, it yeah. seemed to speak volumes to that more than anything. But we're going to get at least, we got what, two more games between them before the season's over? Yeah, but I think they're both on back-to-backs. I know at least one, the game in San Antonio is a back-to-back. So that's oh. important. Oh, well. I hate excuses, but, you know, that's a, if there's going to be an excuse in the NBA, it's going to be the second of a back-to-back is a big one. Yeah. Um, and, and have you talked to players about that? I mean, is it a thing where, because it seems like they can hang on for the first, like, you know, three quarters or so, and then there just seems to be a time in the fourth quarter where they just conk out. Have, did you notice that? I mean, it's just in general. It's just unnecessary. The league shouldn't have back-to-backs. There should be a way to, I think, make the season longer, drag out the year to, like, no preseason, maybe, like, two more weeks than regular season. Just don't have them. It's just bad for the product. Okay. There's, there's no back-to-backs in college. Uh, well, that's true, but there's also half the games. <laughs> yeah, it makes it a lot easier for sure. Yeah, I mean, because they're never going to get rid of games because that would seem like the solution is make it said 82 games, make it like 76. But yeah, that's never going to happen. Never. No. All right, so then we got to figure that out. I mean, you're right. The, the, the season seems long enough where you could, in theory, do it. I don't know. Do you know anything about how the schedule is made? I mean, not really, but I feel like I don't really. So I'm very uninformed about this. But I feel like you're almost better off having a longer season than giving guys sabbaticals, being like, take two weeks off and just do whatever, recharge, like, like, like LeBron last year in Miami. Because, like, an NBA team is good enough for two weeks without one player. They can't survive, right? Give more guys shots, give more guys minutes, more guys opportunities, and just figure something out and let a guy recharge for a while. I mean, it's kind of like what the Spurs do. Yeah, exactly what the Spurs did. I remember one year they let Tony Park take like three weeks off the All-Star break. They just gave, gave him the time off, said, go whatever, just right. out. Yes. Now, although we know that Tony Parker didn't go back to Miami uh, and come back having looked like a mere mortal and then come back as a Superman. Uh, yeah, I did notice that. I mean, definitely, right? You want to start asking too many questions. You know, I don't know. I don't it, know what's happening If it there. wasn't Miami, then I, I wouldn't uh, raise a, a three eyebrows at it. But, um, you know. I'm, I'm a big conspiracy guy, so that's oh, I, all. I, I am as well. I mean, definitely. I mean, for sure. We can do that maybe a different time, but no doubt. No oh, doubt. yeah. No, we got to talk about, let me talk about, like, remember when Kobe uh, sliced up his hand, supposedly moving boxes in his garage? Yeah, I don't think Kobe's moving any boxes. He's got people yeah. doing that for him. Man. Remember, yeah. when, remember when Ron Artest, like, fell down the stairs at his house and, like, you know, hurt his leg or his <laughs> knee? Um, you know, there's a couple of those stories. Remember when, yeah. when, uh, when Kevin Love... Broke his knuckles doing push-ups. Oh, push-ups, the knuckle push-ups, yeah. Yeah, yeah. remember when Carlos Boozer, like, tripped over a bag in his house and uh, got hurt or something like that? I mean, that? you got to think if Blake <laughs> had been at his apartment with that guy having that dinner, then who knows the story would have come out. And I only have because it came out because they're in a public place, right? Well you, know, well, you know what scares me about that is if it was a private place in his, in his apartment, that guy might not have walked out of there. Really? I don't I'm, know. He beat him. Yeah. Like, the guy had, had like, was dizzy and blurry vision. Like, he, you saw his hand. He really was pummeling this guy, it sounded like. So I would be, I would have been worried if it wasn't, like, I somewhere. So. You know, but um, I, I'm waiting for that story to come out more. I'm, I'm kind of curious. I mean, I know, I guess we've heard enough of those details. But, uh, uh, but how far do your conspiracy theories go? Like, do you go into, like, do we land on the moon kind of stuff or only NBA? Well, 
I don't know about landing on the moon, but I wouldn't be surprised either. I don't know. I never been on the moon. I have no idea. Right. You know, I mean, what better way to do it? Like, if you're trying to put Russia, you know, out of business by making them spend a lot of money on their program, <laughs> just, you know, call, call Kubrick, have him fake it like he did for 2001 A Space Odyssey. Bam. Uh, JFK, that's a conspiracy, right? Oh, I mean, that's obvious. I mean, come on. That's just obvious. I'm I met Dallas, someone who, like, who, like, still isn't sold, and I, and I, I, uh, I was dumbfounded. Like, at the very least, Oswald had guys behind him. Like, let's not act like he was totally, totally just a total random guy. Like, come on. Come yeah. On. Well, I mean, listen, there was a bullet hole in the windshield, and like we've seen evidence of that. That had to have come from the front. So, anyway, <laughs> that could be another one. Now, you're in Austin, right? Not too far from Dallas. Right? Are you, you're in Austin, Texas? Hey, you're, you're breaking up. I missed that. So oh, can, sorry. I'm, can you hear me now? I'm in Dallas. Dallas. Oh, you're in Dallas. Okay, good. Not yeah, in Austin. I missed, so. yeah, I missed, yeah, I hear you now. Great. So, you know what? Maybe the next time we do a podcast, do it from the grassy knoll. <laughs> no, it's funny. Like, on my way to school in high school, I drove by the grassy knoll every single day. That was my route to clap, route to my high school. Could you, do that can you? I, I, that's the. By the way, if I could ever go back in time, I would go to Dallas on November twenty second. That's where I'd go. Hmm. Do you feel it when you're driving by there? Like, does it seem palpable? I mean, you drive by there a thousand times, right? It's just another place. Wow. Like anything else? That's amazing. I mean, I don't know because I, I can't. That's the one thing I need to do. I, I've never been to Dallas, and I have to go. And I mean, I'm, it's very cool. The Seventh Floor Museum is a very, very cool museum. Definitely worth checking out. Okay, cool. Well, hey, that's a good plug for them as well. So. Um, well, I think we covered a lot here, uh, and even even the conspiracies. This is great. I, uh, you know, I don't know if, if we, uh, we we've lost some people here, but um, great stuff. I can't wait to start reading more at the Ringer. Do you have any idea when that's going to you know go live? Uh, I think definitely by the NBA Finals. I think early June is the is like the basics. But I'm pretty unimportant about that. I'm just a lowly writer. I don't know all that kind of stuff. Okay. I just follow orders. But fair. I think early June. Early June, I think. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, Jonathan, thank you for coming on the show. Um, you know, just tell us, where are we going to find you on Twitter? Uh, I'm just at Jonathan Charks. The last name is spelled T-J-A-R-K-S. And, and I'll, I'll plug the uh, Ringer newsletter one more time. Set up at theringer.com and get some good content right at you, right on your inbox. You know what? I've been meaning to do that, and this is finally my motivation for doing that. So I will definitely do that. Everyone else should as well. And uh, looking forward to reading more. So thanks for being here. Yeah, heck, shout me on. I appreciate it. You got it. And don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel. We're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Jonathan? Sure, man. Sure. Why not? <laughs> All right. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like, early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar! Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything! 
It's the most wonderful time of the year. And with help from Albertsons, it doesn't have to be the most stressful. Stop in for great deals on holiday favorites so you can stretch your budget and celebrate more. Pick up fresh, boneless, skinless chicken breasts or thighs, just $1.59 a pound when you buy a value pack of three pounds or more. And get General Mills cereal 10.7 to 13 ounces, selected varieties, $1.57 when you buy two. Tastier meals, sweeter deals, happier holidays. Albertsons, it's just better.